We need him, don't we, church? We need him. And he is here for us. He is here with us. And we get to be reminded of that as we open up his word together this morning. I want to say again, happy Mother's Day to the mothers here. And I think my mom's watching online, so happy Mother's Day, Mom. Love you. Thankful for you. I was so thankful that we get to honor mothers. And we... uh Got to up our Mother's Day game, gift, <laughs> our Mother's Day gift game this year just a little bit. So I hope you enjoyed the the rose there, and that was also uh, because we we delegated that task to a mother. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God for that mother too. We'll, we'll keep her nameless for now, but you could probably guess. Anyways, we're in John 17 this morning, and we have the joy of hearing our Lord Jesus, continue in prayer. And so uh, if you grab the Bible in front of you, it should be on page 903 in that Bible. Uh, But we're looking at John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26 in our time this morning. And so I'm going to begin reading the word, beginning in verse 20. The word of God reads, and again, this is the Lord Jesus praying. He says, I do not ask for these only, speaking of the disciples whom he has been praying for, his apostles. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much, Lord, that you have, by the power of your spirit, caused the apostle John, who heard this prayer, to write down this prayer so that we might be able to read this prayer and preach this prayer and have our lives transformed, impacted, forever changed because of this prayer. God, we pray that this prayer would make all the difference in our lives this morning, that it would change the way that we live. 
that we would seek to pray like this. That we would seek, O oh Lord, to live like this. That we would ask for the types of things that Jesus prayed for. And then, Lord, by the power of your spirit, spirit, we'd ask for your help to live out these things that your son has prayed for. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. To be able to listen to someone pray is an incredible blessing. It's an incredible blessing. Because you not only, essentially, if, if, if prayer, Jesus says that, that when you speak, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we're doing the same thing in prayer and we're speaking to God, then what we're doing in, in prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. And so if you ever wonder what a person desires or what a person is thinking about or what they value and what they think is most important, then it should be well visible and apparent to you audibly through their prayers. I love uh, that the Apostle Paul would mention to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he said to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. You want to know what I, I, I bet Timothy heard a lot of growing up? The prayers of his grandmother. And he got to hear the desires of her heart. A heart that had been changed and transformed and her desires were morphed into the same desires as her heavenly father's desires. And then she prayed those desires over her grandson. And she prayed those desires over her daughter, who then her daughter had a son, and her daughter also would pray the same desires over her son. And so I could guarantee you, Timothy heard a lot of his mother and his grandmother's desires and prayers for them. One time I was at a conference, and I got to hear a brother named Christopher Yuan share about his mother and the prayer warrior that she was for him. He grew up, and before his mom was a believer, she was an atheist. She raised her son an atheist, and then her son went off the deep end. Chris uh, pursued a life of sin and partying and homosexuality and sexual morality, and it grieved his mother's heart. But she was an atheist at that time, and the despair for her was so great that God actually used it to eventually lead her to becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. And then after she became a believer in Jesus, she began in persistent prayer for her son. And she's praying for her son and praying for his salvation and praying that he comes to the Lord. And she sets up a little prayer closet and she's got these little post-it notes everywhere and praying for her son. And then she gets a phone call and she finds out that her son is in prison. And she begins thinking, you know... I, What's going on here? I've been praying. I've been praying. And then she, she decides, you know what? I'm going to count my blessings. So she, she pulls out just off a calculator, one of those, you know, long strips. And this thing is probably like three, four feet long. And she starts, she just starts writing out the different blessings that, that she could think of for this situation. You know, one of them is like, thank you that my son, Lord, is in a safe place. And she just, I've seen pictures of this. She has this giant thing and just filled with all these different blessings that she's thanking the Lord for. But it's in that place that she was praying for her son. Eventually, while her son was in prison, he grabbed a Gideon's Bible and began to read it. Then he got transferred from that prison into another prison where he was laying under the, one of the bunks. And he saw etched in above him, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> 
so he starts reading that, you know, and, and finds out, wow, the Lord has plans for people. And, and that was a deep, uh, a huge encouragement to him. Eventually, he would get out of prison. He would come to believe in the Lord. And this, this guy's testimony is that I'm in the Lord because my mom prayed for me like crazy. And so then he would go to, he'd go to school, and he, he now, uh, I, I believe, is, 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 is teaching at Moody Bible College and travels around. His mom travels with him. She just prays for him and shares also their testimony. They wrote a little book together. But what I love is that this son got to eventually enter into that prayer closet and see all the ways that his mom was praying for him. And to, to kind of bring this back and connect it with our text, what, what I think is amazing is that the disciples are more or less in the prayer closet with Jesus, in the upper room, hearing all that his desires that he has for them, especially right before he's going to lose his life and then rise and then go away to the Father. And so if it's, if it's a blessing to get to listen and learn someone's greatest desires in prayer, uh, that, is, that is true and amazing. But then it's also even greater when we find out that not only do we see desires, godly desires and, and prayers, but when we see that they're made for us how much that should encourage us. And that's what happens in this passage. There's a shift that takes place. And Jesus then begins to pray for all the future disciples who would come to know the Lord Jesus on account of the word of the apostles. And so essentially, the, word, the, the apostles took the word of Jesus and they preached it and they wrote it, and then other people took that, and they preached it, and they passed on what was written, and eventually more and more people come to the faith until we ourselves are here as fruit of that work. And so this prayer that Jesus prays here is a prayer with us on his mind as well. It is a prayer for us. What an encouragement. I love the... uh, what, what Thomas Manton, a pastor from the 1600s, says, he says, if Christ prayed for thee, if Christ prayed for you, why is not your joy full? He says, why, why did he speak these things in the world? He says, it is a copy of his intercession. Christ would show a little before his departure what he does for us in heaven. And he says, and what blessings does he seek for us? None other than union with himself, communion with him in grace here and in glory hereafter. It is a comfort against all temptations, doubts, dangers. You are commended to the Father's care. Isn't that encouraging, church? That leads us to our main idea in John 17, verses 20 to 29. It's that we see two of Jesus' greatest desires so that we will know what to believe and what to do until you go to him or he comes to you. So let's begin with the first great desire of Jesus. He wants us to be united together with him on mission now. He wants us to be united together with him on mission now. If we look at verse 20, the Lord Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. 
That's the unity that, that we're, we're speaking about. He prays that they would all be one. And I want you to know that, that there's a lot of different types of unity in the world. And there's a lot of, of different ways that we can come together. But ultimately, none of those different ways that we could try to bring ourselves together is ultimately eternally abiding and lasting. I felt very united and close to the guys I played football with in high school. But guess what? That unity came to an end when we graduated and we spread out all across the, the world. We could, we could come together and, 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 you know, we're born in the same family or we speak the same language or we have the same interests or we do the same activities and we're united by those things. But ultimately, those things are not eternally abiding and lasting. There is a lot of shallow unity and fake unity in the world. The world wants peace and the world wants unity and it, it wants to bring everyone together, but it doesn't have the tools to do so. But in Christ, we have everything we need for true and deep and abiding and eternal unity. And that's exactly what Christ is praying for us. And so I want us to, to think a little bit, spend a little bit of time thinking about this unity that Jesus is praying for. And so I'm going to ask four questions just to lead us in this point. And by the way, my first point is, is my largest point. Uh, I don't know, our pastors have a tendency to do that, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll eventually get more evened out. But this is just the way it goes. First, we're going to look at the basis of the unity. Second, the condition of the unity. Third, the means that we Attain, to attain this unity and the purpose of this unity. And so first, this, this, what is the basis for this unity now? This eternal, abiding, true, long-lasting unity. It's unity in Christ. Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe. What's the next two words? In me. So they're believing in Jesus. What unites believers to one another is their common object of faith. They both believe in Jesus. And that brings them together and that makes them one. Uh, we belong to Christ individually by faith. We belong to him also. We belong to him collectively. And there's a whole bunch of metaphors that are used in the New Testament that speak about and emphasize our unity in Christ. If you think of the, just the, the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says that to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So, so our unity is unity in a family, and we're all children. And that unity is based in the Son and the work of the Son, who then made us all sons. Amazing. Another favorite metaphor in Scripture is the, that of the body. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see Paul speak about believers being one body, and they're called the body of Christ, and we're members of Jesus' body, and, and Jesus is the head of that body. And so we have united and yet diverse members of this body that are working together and are led and nourished by Christ who is the head of that body. This is the unity that believers enjoy and that unity's head 
and the unity's basis is Christ. Another example we could see is that of the vine. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what do we see in this metaphor? We see the Father has grafted us into the vine, and we are enjoying life in vital union with the others in the vine that is Christ. You can barely go anywhere in the New Testament without repeatedly hearing these words, you guys, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And that's speaking to Christ as the basis of our unity. Paul says in Galatians 3, 27 and 28, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's no, neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Christ is the basis of our unity. And that, ha- that should have a, a, a direct and huge impact on the way that we live our lives and the way that we treat each other. Because think about this. If, if Christ has forgiven someone, who are we to bear a grudge against them? If Christ has accepted a person and they have been united to Christ, who are we to try to disunite them from Christ? If they are his people, then his people must be our people too if we are his people. His family is our family. And if the father has grafted someone into the son, are we going to cut them off? May it never be. So may we humbly check our hearts and consider, do we value this sort of unity? This unity that has its basis in Christ. Do I view my brothers and sisters like this? Do I love them with with the love of family? Do I love them as, as fellow children of God? They are Christ's, and I am Christ's. And so he is mine, and they, his people, are mine. Christ loves his church, and he's at work in his church. And so this is why Jesus is praying, Lord, make them one. The basis for our unity with one another is Jesus. But as we think about this, let's take this one step deeper. Because when we think about our unity with Christ, we cannot comprehend of unity with Christ, uh, of unity with Christ without also beginning to immediately think about the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Father... So let's just back up for a second. If, if Jesus is the Son, and we're talking about being united to the Son, what do we already have hints of relationship with as well? A father, because we have a son, and the Son is not on his own. And so this is how it works. We come into union and unity with the Son, and we do that by the Spirit, and we do that because the Father has loved us and sent his Son, and sent his Spirit, and sent people to preach the Son, so that we could hear it by the power of the Spirit, be united to the Son, and then being united to the Son, be united to the Father. So there's no way to the Father except by the Son and through the Spirit, and there's no way to be united to the Son except by the Father sending the Son and the Spirit's work in bringing us to the Son. 
And so this is the glorious relationship that we enter into, that when we're united to the Son, we enjoy the full and glorious and intimate and loving and eternal bond of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, we don't get added as another member to the triune God, but we get brought in to enjoy him fully. Jesus is the foundation of our unity. And this is why then to believe in the Son, we'll see throughout the Gospel of John, to believe in the Son is to believe in the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. To see the Son is to see the Father. To hear the Son is to hear the Father. To keep the Son's word is to keep the Father's word. To believe in the Son's name is to believe in the Father's name. To abide in the Son is to abide in the Father. To keep the Son's word. I mentioned that one already. To obey the Son is to obey the Father. To honor the Son is to honor the Father. To reject the Son's words is to reject the Holy Spirit by whom he is speaking. So our unity with Christ is a unity that we enter into because the Father and the Spirit have also been at work loving us as well. This then leads to the condition for entering into this uni- unity. On the, on the human side of things, there's something that must be done. There, there's, there's, a, there's something that we need to do in order to enter into this unity. And we see this in verse 20. Jesus is praying, it says, for those who will believe in me. So if what we just preached before was the end me, now we're preaching the who will believe part. The condition for unity with the Son, the way that we become united to the Son and then enter into relationship as well with the Father and the Spirit is by faith alone. Jesus says in John 6, 40, this is the will of my Father that whoever looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. It's faith in Jesus. It's, it's hearing and believing in him and receiving him. We become children of God. And uh, Thomas Manton, again, mentions here in regards to faith. He says that wherever our union into Christ or our participation of the privileges of his death or our spiritual communion in the church is spoken of, wherever in the scriptures he's saying, wherever any of those things are mentioned... The condition is faith. And then he goes on, listen to this carefully. He says, it is a grace. Faith is a grace that sends us out of ourselves to look for all in another. Isn't that beautiful? Grace, or excuse me, faith is a grace that sends us out of ourselves to look for it all in another. And then he says, it is the mother of obedience. As all disobedience is by unbelief, so all obedience is by faith. End quote. J.C. Ryle says, let all who know anything of true faith thank God and rejoice He says, blessed are those who believe. It is an attainment which many of the wise of this world have never yet reached. We may feel ourselves to be poor and sinners, but do we believe? 
We may fail and come short in many things, but do we believe? He that has learned to feel his sins and to trust Christ as the Savior has learned the two hardest and greatest lessons in Christianity. He has been in the best of schools. He has been taught by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Do you see your sin for what it is? Do you see the punishment from a holy God that you deserve? Do you see that there's no way out and that you have dishonored him except for the fact the only way for you to be made right with him is that he sent his son to die in your place and so that if you will repent of your sin and trust in his son, you will be saved. If you learn that you are a terrible sinner and only by faith you can be made right with God, then you have entered the best schools and have had the best teacher. You can only arrive at that knowledge and that wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe? Believing in Christ is the condition of our faith. Christ is the basis and faith is the condition by which we are united to him. But this then leads to what is the means of this unity. In other words, what does God use to produce faith in us? And if we look at verse 20 again, we find the answer for that. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What are those last two things there? Their word. People are going to come to know Christ and believe in Christ through the apostles preaching Christ. Christ has spoken in this whole passage about his word and the word of the Father that the Son made known to, to them. And then he goes and says their word. So the word that was the Father's that the Son took and gave to the disciples, the disciples now have. And Jesus calls it their word. It's a word that belongs to them, but it's a word about him and they take it and they preach it and they pass it on to other people who hear it and who believe it and who come to know the one true and living God. This is what Jesus came to do. And this is why Paul says in Romans 10 that, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he asks, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear? Without someone preaching, the means by which faith is produced in a person, the means by which faith was produced in you, was by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of words. This foolish thing that we're doing right now is the life-changing, transforming power of God at work in us. Someone who was considered a fool to the world came to us and preached the words of Christ to us. And we heard. And by the power of the Spirit, we believed the things that were spoken. We are united to Christ. And we are united to one another in Christ through the preached word. Peter tells us in John 6, he says of Jesus' words, you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Likewise, Jesus says back in verse 3 of this prayer, 
that eternal life is knowing you. He's praying to the Father, speaking to the Father. Eternal life is knowing you, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How in the world do we come to know that the Father has loved the world and sent the Son to save sinners like us except through the preaching of God's word? That is the means by which we are united to the Lord and to one another through the preaching of the word of God. And I just want to say this here, that if, if God is a God who speaks, then we should be a people who listen. And if God is a God of a written word, then we should be a people who read it and proclaim it. We should be readers and proclaimers, and if we can't be readers, and if we're not readers yet, then we're dependent on proclaimers who are readers. But let us be a reading and, and, a, and a preaching people. Let's be people of the word, because our God is a God of the word and a God of words, and it's his means, his chosen means to bring us into the sweet fellowship of his son and spirit and us also with one another. But this then leads to what is the purpose of this unity. And I mentioned in this first point that Jesus desires for us is that we would be united together on mission now. So when we get to the purpose of this unity, that's where this mission idea comes in. Comes in. Our unity is, is not just so that, you know, we can enjoy this, but our unity is a visible, uh, experiential, tangible unity that matches the preaching of the gospel and, and, and gives a visible demonstration of it. People can see us and our fellowship and uh, in the way that we live our lives and the way that this word has impacted our lives and they can see it and it should convince them and it should show them and it should help them to know that God loves in the world and sends his son to save us. We see this in verse 21. Jesus is praying that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us so that. See that so that? <laughs> Do you see that so that? That sounds funny, huh? I decided to say it twice. <laughs> that so that is the purpose of our unity, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Let these people be one and united and together living out the, my word that I gave them, your word that I gave them so that all the others around them can see that you love me and that you love them and sent me to save them. Notice again a few verses later, Jesus makes a similar move. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You see, guys, if we get the unity part going right, which Christ creates it, and then by the power of the Spirit, it, we, it, it is maintained, but we kind of chafe against that, and we can sin, and we can resist the work that the Spirit is doing to keep us united. 
But when we're united in that way and we're functioning and we're loving and we're serving and we're showing up and we're singing praises together and we're coming to each other's houses and we're meeting each other's needs and we're caring for each other and praying for each other and praying for each other's family members and friends and and neighbors and serving in practical ways and all of those ways when we get that unity stuff right, everyone else who's in the world who's chasing after some form of fake unity that's being offered to them comes face to face with the reality of true and deep and God-glorifying unity that does not have its origin in man. And they have to deal with that. And they see it. They see that it's different. And those of us who have have grown up and came to Christ later, we saw that. Those of you who grew up in a Christian family, you experienced that. Maybe you went and you left home for a little bit and you realized very quickly that it has nothing compared to what Christ has given. I love the, in the New City Catechism, it says, what is the church? And the answer is, God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life, united by faith, who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. God sends out this community to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom. Pay attention to that last part. And prefigure, meaning we are, the, we are the way that people are getting a glimpse. They're getting a taste of the future coming kingdom. How? By the quality of our life together and our love for one another. Isn't that amazing? Makes me want to show up. Makes me want to lift my voice in praise with all the rest of you. It makes me want to serve you in the Lord, so that people can see it. And if, if we get that unity part going, like we are already halfway done d- doing the sent part, doing the mission part of it, because they are seeing, they are getting a glimpse. That's why we want to invite people to church. Just invite them to church. Have them over to your home, love them, encourage them, and then invite them to church and let them just taste and see Because here, they will get a glimpse of Christ's kingdom by the quality of our life together and our love for one another. As Jesus says in John 13, 34, Just as I loved you, so you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What a privilege that we would get to be sent. The Lord Jesus himself was a son, the son, and he was sent. And we have come to believe in the son. And then the son has said that I have made you sons and now I am sending you as well. What a joy that we get to be engaged in the very same son work of the son of God. What else would we want to do with our lives? What else could be, be more purposeful? What else could be better than that? than to do the work of sons. That's what Christ is praying for. That's what his desire is, and it's for us to do that work together. It's a work that we do together. And so his, one of his greatest desires is that we would be a people united on mission together, that the world may know. And I'll just ask here, is there anything keeping you from that? 
So some, some other purpose, some other unity, some other fellowship that you think is greater than that. Or, or some, some, other, some other group to be committed to that when, when you stand in front of the Lord Jesus and give an account for how you've lived your life, will it really matter that I went out and did that thing with them? Will it really matter? What will I wish that I did more of? I'm going to wish that I did more of this sun work, this scent work, this loving the church, building up the church, encouraging the church, and being together with the church, proclaiming the word of our, our, the church's savior to people. That's the work. That's the work that I'm going to be thankful that I spent my life and my time and my money and my talents doing. And that's what Jesus is praying for us. This then leads to our second, last, and shorter point. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> Jesus wants us to be united together with him in glory forever. He's praying for something now, and he's praying for something future for us. Jesus wants us. Oh, take it in. Take it in. He wants us to be united together with him in glory forevermore. Like as far that way as it goes. I can't even reach. I wish my arm could just extend, like stretch Armstrong. That just came into my head. I just threw it out there. Just forever. What is forever? I don't even know forever. But that's glorious because we're not going to want it to ever end. Because we're going to be beholding his glory. Look at what he says here. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me before the foundation of the world. The Son has been basking in the glory of the only begotten Son in perfect fellowship and unity with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity. And he then prays after having put on flesh, lived a perfect life, and is about to die to save all of us from our sins. He prays not only that we would be united together with him on mission now, but then he prays that we would be united together with him in glory forevermore. Have you noticed this about the Son? The Father loves and gives something, or excuse me, the Father loves and gives the Son everything, including himself. Then the Son turns around and takes all that the Father has given the Son, and then what does the Son do with that? He gives it to us. The words that the Father gave the Son, the Son gives to us. The mission the Father gave the Son, the Son gives to us. The Father uh, gives the Son a human body. What does the Son do with his human body? Except give it for us on the cross. The Father gives the Son the Holy Spirit. The Son sends the Spirit from the Father to us to be our possession 
and our power and God's presence in us. The Father gives the Son his love, and the Son makes the Father's love known and gives it to us. The Father gives the Son glory, and then the Son says, Father, I want them to be with me and enjoy this glory you've given me. This glory is Jesus' glory. It's a glory the Father's given to him, a glory that, that he has given to the Son because he loves the Son. And it's a glory that the Son had in the presence of the Father before the world existed. It's a glory that the Son longs and loves and desires and prays to share with you and me who believe in him. I guarantee you there's nothing more glorious that you could ever or ever will set your eyes upon than what the Lord Jesus is speaking about right here. Jesus is saying, I desire that they whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Who are we that he would say such things like that about us and not just say those things, but pray those things for us, you guys. Who are we? Us. With you, Jesus, in your glory forever. Incredible. I think we get a, we get a glimpse of someone who gets to get a glimpse of that glory, I believe, in Acts chapter 7. We see... In Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to 56, that when they heard these things, these are the the Jews, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him, speaking of Stephen. And it says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I've seen the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's getting a glimpse of that glory that Jesus is praying that we will have and enjoy eternally. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, the Lord Jesus says that truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the Lord Jesus is going to descend in glory and people are going to see it and enjoy it and reign with him. And then if we're following the the chronology of Revelation, after that reign we see in the new heaven, in the new earth, what are we going to do there? Revelation 22 verse 3, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. And look at what it says here. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads and they will reign with him forever. That's Jesus's, one of Jesus's greatest desires for us, that we would be united together with him in glory forevermore. The son has asked for these things from the father. For us who have believed in him. Do you think he's, the Father's going to answer them? In John chapter 11, Martha comes to Jesus after the death of her brother Lazarus. 
And she says something to Jesus. She says, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Later in that passage, Jesus Jesus prays to the Father, and he says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And here in our passage, if Jesus has prayed for our unity together with him on mission now, and if he's prayed for our unity together with him in glory hereafter and forevermore, and if the Son has asked that of the Father, and the Father gives to the Son all that the Son asks, let's just connect the dots and be encouraged, church. These these prayers will be answered. These prayers have been being answered. These prayers will come to fruition. Our salvation and our sanctification and our growth in righteousness and every single little thing that we do to be united together and to preach Christ and to, to tell people about Jesus is an answer to these prayers. Because the Father loves the Son and asks or and gives the Son all that He asks for. I love that Pastor Jeff mentioned last week that he said something in the effect of the, the protection that Jesus is praying for isn't so that you won't lose your life, but so that you won't lose your faith. I love that and find great encouragement from that. From that. May we maintain our faith until death and serve the Lord till death. Each of us has a different death day, if I can put it that way. I never thought about it that way until right now. Uh, you all have different birthdays, and we, most of us have different, are going to have different death days. For some, it's sooner. For some, it's later. For some, it's, 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 it's sooner in life. For others, it's later in life. But we want to make it our goal to be able to say what the Lord Jesus says right before the end of his earthly life there. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. The Father gave the Son a specific work, and the Son has given us a specific work, which he will work by the power of his Spirit. And we will, by the power of the Spirit, engage in that work until the day when the Lord sees fit in his sovereign wisdom to take us to himself and to bask in the glory of his Son. May we be able to say, church, that we accomplished the work that he gave us to do. That, that we weren't distracted with other work. That we weren't seeking other forms of unity. But that we were joyfully united, partnering side by side with one another in the advancement of the gospel. Because that is our work. May we believe that. May we live that. And I just want to mention here, if you're here and you are hearing this, and you haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps you know well that some, some family member, a friend, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father has been praying for you and for your salvation. I want to call you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Put your faith and trust in him and you will have all your sins forgiven. If you turn and repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ, who bore our penalty 
on that cross and three days later rose from the grave and who's going to return to judge the living and the dead. If you will put your faith in him, you will be saved. There's no question about it. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. No person who has put their faith in Christ and has run to Christ with their debt of sin has ever been turned away. He has abundantly pardoned us all. This whole room is filled with sinners who have been abundantly pardoned, not because we did any good works, but only by pure grace given to us in Christ. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so we invite you to come to the Lord Jesus today and to begin to be united with us on mission now and to be united together with us and him in glory forever. I started our time this morning speaking about a praying mother. Then in the course of this sermon, we've been looking at a praying son. So I don't want to leave the fathers out. I want to close with a praying father. Some of you guys might know the missionary John G. Patton. I've mentioned him before, found his autobiography really encouraging. But I loved what he mentioned here. He, he, he recounts the impact of listening to his father pray for him during their, their family times of worship. He says, How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the unbelieving world to the service of Jesus and for every personal and domestic need. We all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. Just as John listened to his father pray and learned to know and love Jesus. So in our time this morning, we've listened to the Lord Jesus pray to his father. And we have learned to know and to love the father. And to do the work that the father and the son and the spirit have given us to do. And may we be faithful in that work. May we pray that that work would be fulfilled in us, in others, and in others. And may we live faithful lives to see those prayers answered in our lives. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for revealing us by sending your Son and Spirit. Thank you that we can have eternal life, Lord. Thank you that we know you, Father, through your Son and in your Spirit. Thank you for the work that you've given us to do. May we accomplish all that you've given us, O oh Lord. Lord, we know that this work is a work that you've given to us. And it doesn't matter, Lord, where we come from, what our background is. It doesn't matter our, our socioeconomic position. It doesn't matter our race. It doesn't matter our gender, Lord. You have made us your own. 
and you have sent us out to proclaim this good news to those in the world, that they too might hear and believe and come to enjoy the perfect unity and the future glory that we have with you. We ask this in your great son's name. Amen.